You are listening to Death by DVD. I'm Linnea, and I like Death by DVD. It's a statement. On this episode, we are going to talk about love and death. Most importantly, death. Fresh from the graveyard, I am Harry Scott Sullivan, and with me, you wouldn't like him when he's angry. It's the incredible I, Alexander Nash. Play my walk away song. Da, 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 da. Nothing starts an episode off better than the Incredible Hulk's walking away while looking back at the camera song. That's where I am week to week. I'm just roaming like a nomad while piano music plays. This episode, we're going to talk about love and death, but not ironically. Because it's the name of the movie, De La Morte, De La More. We're talking about Cemetery Man. Maybe the worst titling, more, yeah, worst retitle. Yeah, like just translate of death of love. You can even throw an and in there if you want to. But like Cemetery Man, what are you selling this as? Like, like graveyard buddies, you know, the dead and pals. It makes it sound like there's a buddy comedy or something funny's gonna happen. And and I will admit, I think this movie is funny to some extent, maybe not like, yeah, funny, it's ha-ha. intensely comic, but it's, it doesn't like cemetery man. Like what was the, um, there's another alternate title like in Germany or something. That's like, um, my girlfriend's a zombie or so, that's like the, the title of it. It's like, that's, that's a terrible title. It is not that kind of movie. I mean, it, there's a certain sense of like poetry to it. And yes, it does have humor, but it's not just like, it's not, wacky screwball scary movie humor which is what cemetery man kind of indicates to me that or some direct-to-video like early 2000s direct-to-dvd thing yeah it really that that to me is is hitting the nail on the head it, it seems like i picked this up at a local video store and the, the box art looks really awesome and you get home and it's got joe estevez in it it doesn't seem like it's it's a good movie at all and it's quite the contrary I think we could say that this is is one of our favorite movies, but it's I think top five lists have gotten arbitrary in my life. We've discussed this on the show before. It's very hard to pin down a favorite movie because you change your the life is fluent, death is fluent, so your tastes 
uh, arguably are also fluent. But uh, this always will remain. Whenever I try and formulate a list, when I try and come up with my favorite movies, at some point, Cemetery Man is is got to be top five. And as I've, it's weird thinking back on Death by DVD. I know in the early years we we covered this when we were a live show. And we've mentioned it and talked about it endlessly. And for the last few weeks, I've I've rewatched it a couple times. And it's kind of transcendental for me that my entire life, my feelings on this movie have not changed. I'd say a good 20 years of being a fan of this film. Same feelings. Every time I watch it, I feel what I see, I understand completely. It always speaks to me. I think it's uncannily beautiful. Um, Beautifully written. There's a great soundtrack. The acting, it doesn't even seem real. Everything seems... Like that, um, God, what is that? I can't, I can't think of the director's name. Dazed and Confused Man's A Scanner Darkly. Richard Linkletter. Richard Linkletter, yeah. It, it reminds me a little bit of, well, I guess A Scanner Darkly r- would remind me of this. And that movie was shot with rotoscope, and that's the only reason I'm bringing it up, because the movie has this bizarre appearance to itself. And while watching Cemetery Man, I kind of I kind of forget it's real. I, I, I forget that we're actually watching human beings, that it seems like it's some weird dopamine memory in my mind. <laughs> Well, in contrast to that, my views have changed of this film over the years because I saw it when it originally came out on video in like the late 90s in America as Cemetery Man. And I had been prepped for this movie by Fangoria, by uh, Chaz Bound, by all these people just going, this is like, it's a fucking amazing film. And I watch it and it just didn't resonate with me at all. I didn't, I didn't get it at all. And it just like, eh, it just, that movie just, I don't know. Why does everybody love this movie so much? But over the years, I have gained an appreciation for it and have started to like put my views on Italian cinema have changed over those years as well. And I will say it's I'd say it's uh, the Italian horror scene from, you know, like the 1970s through the 1980s and all that, like, you know, the biggies, the Argentos, the Fulci's. This out of all those movies is probably the best film. It's the best made film. It's the best uh, written film. Now, it's not my favorite of all those films by any means, but I think what uh, Mikel Suave was able to do with this film is actually incredibly beautiful, and it merges so many different genres together that a lot of the uh, Italian horror biggies of that era weren't able to do because you he takes kind of the grotesqueness of Fulci, the, um, the artistry of Argento, kind of the um, over-the-topness of Lamberto Bava, and kind of just like melds all that stuff together and makes this like Italian, like almost like a, um, a super group, almost like, you know, when you add um, musicians from all different bands into one group and a super group of a movie. And it's probably the best out of all those films. Like I'd say it's like an Academy award best foreign film of 19, whatever year, I think 96, 94. Well, I think in America came out in 96 on video finally. To add one more name to that amazing band, I would really say Sergio Leone. And I know uh, the director of this movie, and and, and to an extent the, the writer, it's based on a novel, a graphic novel by Tiziano Schiavi. But Michele Suave, as an artist, he's got a lot of people he worked with that were teachers, but is a very adamant fan of Sergio Leone's work and the environments and realms that he sort of created with his work. And I think this movie specifically, Della Morte, Della Moore, really traverses into that. And I don't just mean 
what a spaghetti western looks like. You've got a lot of things that worked really well with the most infamous and famous films of Leone's career, and that was something like Ennio Morricone working with him. You had these haunting scores and soundtracks, as well as very strange visuals that always represented something else. And, you know, like uh, Alejandro Hodorowski, also very influenced by Sergio Leone. His films are a different ballpark than what we're dealing with here, and I think Michele Suave has managed to... A very short career as a director, which he never had any interest actually being a director. I think with this, I can really agree with you. It's, it is the best, and there are so many wonderful movies. I don't know if I could stand toe to toe in an argument that this is as lovely and as well scored and beautiful as Suspiria, but at the same time, it I feel arguably has much more substance and the content matter within I think you can look at yourself and feel much more emotion than you can with something like Suspiria but it's it's tit for tat it's arguing at this point and you can't stylistically deny Dario Argento's witch trilogy is some of the most flashy beautiful stuff on the planet well not the last one the last one was well terrible. so much of Suave's career as a director and just as a filmmaker in general because he's been an actor he's been a writer he's he was all around and he worked with almost all of them he worked with Lumberto Bava he worked well he was Dario Argento's AD for many years he also worked with Joe D'Amato who he he holds very dear to his heart good old Aristide Massachusetts that most of what he learned was working to an extent his his beginnings as a director uh, with stage fright was Joe D'Amato came to him and said hey why don't you make this movie? And it was written by Joe D'Amato, regular Luigi Montefiore, which everybody knows better as George Eastman. So it, it comes all down to his work, and I think his aesthetic is, is wasn't so much self-taught, but he looked at all these other people. He got to witness so many different people. It doesn't seem like he ever took took to Fulci. I don't I don't know. That might be just me personally looking into their careers. He worked very avidly with Lucio Fulci, but I don't see any of his style. I don't see anything reminiscent just because there are zombies in Michele Suave films that they're, they're not reminiscent. Uh, I would say there's a certain fascination with the grotesque in some of Suave's films. You could see more of the Fulci influence in something like stage fright or um, the sect than I would say in cemetery man or devil more than more. And the church does kind of have that winding beyond like mystic mystification. I can't speak mysticism. Yeah, there we go. That's the word. Little piece of trivia, the writer of Del Morte Del Amor, he was a comic book writer as well, and he wrote a very popular comic book in Italy called Dylan Dog, which has a similar wry sense of humor that basically the character uh, of Dylan Dog is drawn to look like Rupert Everett, 
Um, the first movie I ever watched on Netflix streaming was the American Dylan Dog movie with Brandon and Ralph or whatever. Wow. What a piece of shit that movie was. It's terrible. Look around you. The monsters you read about as a kid, they're real. And the key to their survival is making sure none of us know they're here. In the city that loves to party, just three blocks west of the French Quarter, lies a secret world. Dylan! Kill the lights. Ah! You okay? Where the crimes of the dead are investigated by one of the living, Detective Dylan Dog. There was a pact among all the undead to appoint a single human as impartial inspector, someone they could trust to protect them from themselves when one of their own crossed the line. Yeah, drastically missed the point. Manageable. Drastically missed everything. It's just like, I don't know, this is kind of popular. Let's take this character and make a Constantine-esque movie out of it. I don't know. Bad movie, but that's beside the point. We're talking about Del Morte Del Mor. Hello? It's me. <clears throat> oh, well, am I bothering you? Francesca? Oh, don't worry. I'll get out of the show sometime. Hold on a minute, Franco. <laughs> In the great tradition of From Dusk Till Dawn and the Night of the Living Dead. You were saying, Franco? Comes Cemetery Man, the movie critics are calling frightfully funny. Why the barbed wire? Do they climb in at night? No. They climb out sometimes. A visual feast of ghoulishness. Deliriously original. A movie full of surprises. We can't. I'm alive. And you're dead. I'm not prejudiced, my love. A hilariously ghoulish romp. Get down or I'll shoot. You can't. I'm the mayor. X. Rupert Everett. This time, it is forever. Cemetery Man coming October 1st to home video rated R. Like I was saying before of where I, I just didn't get it because I at that point in my life, I was used to Italian films being Argento or Fulci or having some like characteristic in it where it's, you know, going to be over the top in some way. And Del Morte Del Mor is very restrained in what story it's telling, the gore levels, the uh, even the acting at a certain point. Um, Although it is all very over the top, it's also very muted and very somber the entire time, which adds to the piece overall, because what this movie is about is its title. It's about death and it is about love and two things. It's two of the things that almost everyone experiences at some point in their life, if not directly like that is most of your life dealing with love and dealing with death. So that's immutable to the film. It's what this film is about. It's something that absolutely everyone can relate to. It's just ground down to its absolute bare bones of what these feelings can be. And that's what the movie is ultimately about, which is emotion and tone. Fuck the story. The story is nonsense. It's not literal nonsense, but if you look at it that way and just, uh, it makes me sound so ridiculous, but this movie is all about feeling. You feel the movie, and it goes back to my theory of Italian filmmakers 
never make like they never particularly made movies for plot and narrative. It was always about trying to push a feeling into you and make you feel something very specific. And this film does that in spades. I mean, there definitely is a story that you can follow. We are in a town in Italy called Buffalora, and in the cemetery, every seven days, the dead come back to life. The guy that runs the cemetery's name's Francesco Della Morte. He's played by Rupert Everett, and he has an assistant named Nagi, played by Francois Haji Lazaro, who doesn't really speak aside from muttering the word "nya." And they take care of the dead. They rebury them. They he, he's a technician. But those are our focal points. We're dealing with. Death itself, and that's the surrounding, that's the setting of the movie, and everything that comes with that, every emotion that comes forward with that, and the way it's manipulated and shown to us on screen is psychotic. I mean, it's absolutely bananas, because for all intents and purposes, this is a zombie movie, and boy, do you get amazing zombie action. You got zombie on motorcycles, zombies with plants growing out of their head, big titty zombies. It's got... It all. And it really covers every base, but when you go into something like, oh, I love zombie movies, Dawn of the Dead is great, you'll be certainly disappointed because it's 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 not even the subtext. It's not what you need to read into within this movie. I just have to parrot Alexander Nash here that it is the emotion. And you're you're given such visuality. It's it's so in your face with everything you see. You've got this very decadent, almost Mary Shelley gothic look to what death is. It's it's very Catholic. There's a lot of churches, or not, there's a lot of crosses, there's a lot of osseries. I mean, there's somebody falls in love with an ossery. It's very Catholic. The first shot of the movie pretty much tells you everything that the story is about. And the first shot is a human skull that we spiral out from with a phone cord, and we're spiraling out from death and ultimately back into death at some point in our lives. That's from ex- from not existing to existing to not existing and that's that's what the movie's about <laughs> i mean that's that's literally it it's not like for you to like the the story in itself and all the the plot details cuz a lot of those can get jumbled up and it's just like why is this all of a sudden happening like this and why is like at a certain point he becomes a murderer he decides to start killing the dead before they even become dead um, and he doesn't get caught. And why don't the police and why is everyone in the town acting so uh, odd? And really, it's because no one pays attention to him. Everybody ignores him and his job because no one wants to deal with death. No one wants to deal with anything that's going on in his life. So it's not a, like so much of a reality based world. It has its own sort of logic and reality within the walls, which big spoiler at the ending, that's quite literally what the the last shot is of the snow globe is just like, it's this world that's in this snow globe. This is what it is. Well, philosophically, you can take several different angles from this movie. You can go nihilistic, and there are flavors of Nietzsche. You can look at Carl Jung and different types of psychology, and, and you can focus on the metaphysical. You can try and make it absolutely literal, but I think a really great companion for this, looking beyond all of it, is Hemingway's The Sun Also Rise. And that's something that has, has changed with me over the years, is the meaning and definition of that. Because you can have sympathy for the lead character, you can understand his inability to an extent to be loved because of his inner problems. And some of that is replicated in Delamorte Delamore. There is a whole thing about not being able to use your penis and not being loved for that. And you have to look at the machismo and the feelings behind all of it and kind of strip it away. But when you compare The Sun Also Rises to something like this, you're going on the same adventure. 
and it's 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 mentioned throughout the movie several times that Francesco della Morte, Francis of Death, he doesn't feel that anything matters. He doesn't feel that the world has anything aside from pretty much his reality. And we traverse through it and we start seeing that. And it's more of an inner reflection thing of not just him, but speaking for society, speaking for life itself. You're born, you die, you get put into a cemetery. People come to visit you until they die themselves. Things move on, time changes, nothing really matters. But it's not... When you begin the movie, it seems like it's ultimately hopeless and it's given to you in a very negative fashion. But by the end of the movie, it's it's really not so hopeless. It's kind of... You know, I don't want to say Buddhist because that just seems like a weird term to not describe things, but it seems much more beautiful. It seems like there's not any shame or fear in it all repeating itself because at least in the existence and reality you have, it is you. It is whatever you're doing. Yes, nothing matters and you will die. It's inevitable. We all go through it and we repeat it constantly. You might not have death every day in your life, but every form of reality dies at some point. Your memories are a different reality, memories that you can't remember anymore, things like that. So there's a lot of philosophy behind it, but of course, it's a fucking Italian horror movie. So even the dumbest shit, like Anthropophagus, still has some sort of dreamlike philosophical background because that's how the Italians shot. That's just, <laughs> and it, it really is. It's, it's, it seems like a xenophobic comment, but what I, I mean is, is where the Italian school of film came from. Everything from Fellini to Joe Diamato has fucking got a dream alternative reality to it. And it all looks like a dream. That's one of the things that makes people so partial to Italian films is like Nicholas Winding Refn. He fucking grew up watching stuff like that and obviously gave him a big giant beefy boner. Well, and I would say that the ending is kind of there's a somewhat of a happy ending at the end because I think it's happy. I I, I well, really I mean, like, well, because he finally understands. Like Nongi talks to him, and I don't even know how much that you know. Death tells him there's a point right before they leave that he is speaking to a statue of death, and Death says, "You think you can escape this? You think you can move on? And you don't understand the difference between life, love, and me." And he tries to leave with Nagi, but in the end of the film, and I, I meant to say this at the beginning of the episode, but this isn't exactly like, oh, I've heard of this movie. I want to sit down and listen to this episode of Death by DVD. Some 20 minutes into the episode, this this clearly is for people that <laughs> have seen and experienced the movie before. So I, I do apologize for not doing a fucking spoiler warning. But we learn, I think at the end through the actions and his emotion what love is that it's not always some sort of primal lust it's not love isn't fucking love isn't sex love isn't the most beautiful woman that you've dreamed of coming into your life because sometimes those fantasies and realities are are not one and the same you can't mix fantasy up with reality and he learns in the last sequences truly what love is and says to nagi you are my best friend and i never even noticed it and that's when I think the movie completely changes its gears and is possibly well, the most beautiful That's when Del Morte like, realizes that, I mean, he can hear Nagi speak now because he's kind of come to terms with Nagi is the only person he really cares about. And maybe he just hasn't been listening to Nagi the entire time. They, they change roles because Nagi says to him, could you please take me home now in perfect English? And he goes, yeah. And I feel that what we're shown is is like the character of Nagi, his innocence. Maybe he knew love the entire time and that 
you look at him and you think, for lack of better terms, the character is a simpleton, that he's not firing on all cylinders. He can't even speak. He probably can't read. And throughout the film, we see that he's rather exquisite. Uh, Francesco Della Morte, Rupert Everett's character, has this skull that is a puzzle that you have to piece together, and he struggles with it. He can't get it done. But Nagi does it behind his back and then takes it apart behind him. And Rupert Everett even kind of belittles him, saying this is the hardest thing in the world. Somebody like you could never figure it out. I think the character might be... Uh, you know, kind of like a meta example of of love, of happiness. He's content within his life. When when the leaves start to blow and he becomes worried about them, he leaps in them, and that's his everything. His moment and his life is being lived to the fullest without this worry of, am I loved by, by so-and-so? Can I be desirable? What is else out there? He looks at, presumptively, this is just my opinion, he looks at the world as, as what it is every day, and he's living through those days, and at the end of the film... Francis finally realizes that, that he kind of has become... And I mean, it, that's what's also beautiful about this movie, is it is kind of up to to every person that watches this. This is just uh, me recently re-watching the film, it kind of hit me that, man, they kind of exchanged these characters, that they've become... One's become Delamorte Delamore, and one has become Nagi, and he throws the gun off the cliff... And just kind of looking at this, I don't know if it's symbolism or not, it seems like he's throwing away the old life and becoming love and death as to where Delamorte is realizing the purity and simplicity of life. I don't know if that makes sense. but <laughs> I mean, even down to when he basically meets the same woman three times. Not the same woman, but, I mean, it's... what How I interpret that is it's his version of his perfect woman and he projects that onto any woman he finds attractive and maybe towards the end we kind of learn that all this kind of ridiculous overemphasis on what I want and the love that I'm looking for and this perfect woman that is damn near every woman I see maybe that's not so important anymore maybe I'm projecting all that myself and maybe i need to kind of learn to as you were saying before just i need to learn to be happy in myself and if that means even just being a quote-unquote simpleton or whatever just like that's a some form of self-love is to basically accept the things that i i can't change and be okay with it so i just think there's just so many different kind of interpretations that you can get out of the characters in the film, what's going on in the film, but especially when you're fucking 19 years old and you see it for the first time and you're expecting, you know, crazy zombie movie and you get this and it's just, this is so much more of an art film than it has oh, yeah. anything to do with being a horror film. It's so much more about exactly what the title says. If you're <laughs> like, that's the thing of going out. Oh, it's a death of love. Well, yeah, I guess that's just the title. No, that's just literally everything you need to take in to interpret what's going on. It's just it's all these things moving through his particular life of instances and all he can basically see is death and love. That's the only two things he's ever concerned with. Well, you also have to look personally at the outlook people have with life, that if you focus on things, and this is touched upon in the film, but if you if you focus on things being specifically negative, it's very easy for things to be depicted to you as negative. If you focus on things very positively, it's very easy for things to be 
sent to you uh, positivity. And there's not so much like an idea of God. It's not like there's a religious aspect that's looking down here. It's just simply resurrection at some form. Love, emotion, death, everything comes down to being resurrected on the seventh day. And it's not this horrifying zombie movie. But touching upon the different ideologies or thoughts that you can have with this movie... There is a whole idea that none of it really happened either, because Della Morte has a friend named Franco who were introduced to at the beginning of the movie, but at the end of the film, he begins taking the credit for Della Morte's murders, and he goes home and he kills his wife and his daughter, and he drinks a bottle of iodine and is in a coma, and when Della Morte comes to ask him, why are you doing this, why are you taking my killings, he acts like he's never seen him before. He says, get out, I've, I've never seen you before, go away. Sir? Excuse me, this section is closed to the public. I've come to see the killer. Oh, you can't go in there. He's in a coma. He drank a whole bottle of iodine. I have to take his measurements. Frank. He looks a lot better than last time we talked on the phone. He may have killed your wife and daughter. Okay, I'll give you that. It was me who knocked off the three girls. What are you doing stealing my murders? What kind of fucking friend do you think you are? I suppose you thought you were doing me a favor, huh? Sure. What'd you say? <sighs> Everything's shit. The only thing that's not shitty is sleep. You die. Don't you think anything I do counts? So, so don't you have anything to say to your only friend? Oh, you. I don't know you. I don't know who you are. Go away. Go away! And it kind of puts the movie on a different axis. Are, are we looking at the the depression, the insanity of someone who just simply saw a beautiful woman at his graveyard and has kind of fantasized this entire thing and is, is putting it upon himself? Or is it all real? And does it matter at the end of the day? Because we don't follow through with any of it. We move on with the struggle of what's happening with Francesco Della Morte and where he's at. And when it comes to the end of the film, I think it makes it all trivial. It doesn't matter if any of this really happened. It didn't matter if there were motorbike riding zombies, which also might be one of the most hysterical sequences in the movie. And it's bitterly grim. There's a sequence where a a bus crashes into a flock of teenagers on motorcycles and the bus is filled with 
Cub Scouts, and nuns. And it just seems like a really bad Marx Brothers skit that was taken over the top, but it works. It, it works for what you're dealing with, because then you get motorbike riding zombies as well as Cub Scout zombies. It all turns upon itself uh, when it gets grim, when it seems to be focusing in despair, and you're watching Francesco Della Morte just dying. He says even in one point of the movie, I, I dream of being dead. I just want to die. And you... you don't feel sympathy for it. You just watch it. It's it's also surreal and it's also indifferent. I don't think when you are given the reveal at the end of the movie, it makes it matter, if that makes sense. I think we're in such a weird reality and we're in such a dream that it has to be the emotion. And the debacle that we've gotten into, what does the ending mean? I think that itself is so complete, so completely open. You can look at it as they've changed who they are, and maybe they've become one in themselves, or nothing really matters. Life is just actually. A snow that's the thing. It's like I don't even know if it's like nothing in this world, or just I just don't think the ending matters. It's almost just like all this stuff that you've watched right now. It is what it is, and if you were expecting some sort of, some sort of meaning, some sort of like what, it's just no. It's this is it's just the end. I think the actual ending, like uh, like the real ending of the movie, is before all of this happens. That he is having a discussion with the statue, and even says, "Gosh, the statues are talking to me now. I have to get out of here." And a face appears and says, "If you don't understand the difference between life, love, and death, you can't go anywhere." That's the end of the movie. If you've watched up to that point and you've not been able to differentiate in your head from his lust, from his love, from his life, the things that actually make him happy, which pretty much is Nagi and being the cemetery man, maybe that's where the fucking title comes from, I don't know, it doesn't matter. You've just witnessed something cool and that's fine, but it, it stands for so much more than just cool visuals. Like, basically, I mean, you can even interpret it as, well, death. Death is the end. Here's the end. Your death doesn't fucking matter. Where you're going doesn't matter. It's the ride you've been on the entire time, the pieces that you're taking from it. That is what matters. And ending to this is, who cares? What matters is the bulk of what, what you've just witnessed. And it's kind of the same thing with just human existence in itself is, it's the friends we made along the way. I mean, it's not about so much of a goal. Like, what can I say that I've done since I've died, like, went before I die? And it's like, it doesn't matter. It's what you did while you were here. It's not like, it's not about the biggest uh, the, the tombstone in the cemetery and having um, people adulate you after you're dead. It's about living the life you're given and enjoying the life you were given.
the more you can question the movie, the more you can, I guess, fantasize about it. Because there are so many different options of what exactly has happened. Because when he finally falls in love with this woman whose husband has died and she has come to the cemetery, he takes her to the ossuary and they have this moment together and she becomes the only woman that he's ever loved. And he repetitively sees her over and over and over again in every woman and ends up leading to their demise and... and probably the grisliest scene of the movie he covers one of the replicants i guess you could say with a sheet over her space heater and they burn to death and he vows no more love never again and then we move into the final part of the film where he has to face off against franco and deal with his inner emotions and i've always just felt that most of what we're seeing and and that scene especially he goes to a hospital and the end of the sequence as the end of the movie does, cuts away and there is no more world. Everything is black and it's very self-evident and aware we're watching a movie. And it makes me feel like a lot of this is just inside his head. That everything that we're seeing through Rupert Everett's character is his depression, his fantasies, his lust, his love. Every frame and form of emotion is projected onto us. And when the movie ends, it doesn't really matter because... The whole time he could have possibly just been looking at a snow globe. And it, it's it's parroting you, but it, I guess, drives the, the force and the point of what I want to say about this movie is it is the emotion. It is so much what you feel while you're watching this. And it, it goes up and down. I feel there's a great deal of disgust. There's a lot of heinous murders. There's just some gross effects. There's a, a, there's a lot that we're dusting over but it, it's like trying to sit down we could have done this one of two ways we can start at the first scene and diplomatically go through every sequence and talk about what it's about or we can discuss our emotion via the emotion given to us by Michaela Suave and I think that's more fun I, th I mean for me well I, I mean if you pay attention to pretty much how the town treats Del Morte how he treats himself even when it gets down to his friend and like, I don't recognize you even. I, I just kind of view all that as he's been ignored and what has he been in this town, but somewhat the arbiter of death that people kind of just want to ignore death. And he like is wallowing in it every day and people just are kind of refusing to pay attention to him because he like, he's the thing that they fear most, which is death. And they just don't want to confront their own death, their own uh, life expectancy, all that. So everything that's going on is mostly ignored by the people because most people just want to ignore that death is always around us. And death is a part of life as well as love being a part of life, like two of the most major things that can happen in your life and how those things shape us most people ignore death and focus on the love um he's again wallowing in the death and he's every time he tries to connect with kind of the love end of life it always turns in tragedy but is that tragedy self-imposed is he doing it himself because in the in most of the his um love encounters it's he's kind of fucking it all up himself <laughs> i mean that's there's one that specifically stands out to me, and that's where he falls in love. This is the second time that Anna Fauci's character, the, the unnamed young widow, as it appears on the Wikipedia article about Cemetery Man, he falls in love with a second in 
incantation, I guess. That's not the right word. He falls in love. What was I saying a minute ago? Replicants. I like that. He falls in love with a second replicant version of Anna Fulci's character, and she works for the new mayor because the original mayor got bitten by his zombie daughter who has no head. Yeah, we skimmed a lot of stuff, but it's fine. Watch the movie for yourself at home. You'll enjoy it. And she has a fear of being penetrated. She has a fear of having sex with men. So Delamorte goes to the doctor and wants his fucking dick cut off. The doctor won't do it and gives him a shot that renders him impotent for a month. And then we find out that she was violently raped by the mayor and now loves penetrative sex and can only be friends with him. And you you look at the absolute ridiculous nature of this. And the first time I, I kind of experienced this movie, I don't think I realized... The, uh, what I feel to be the parody of men. And I think the whole point behind this is accentuating what you were just saying and the experience of what he's going through, that he does fuck everything up on his own instead of looking and evaluating the situation. He's very self-centered. It's all about him and his emotions and his feelings. Well, this is my love. This is my death. Everything I know is death, so I've got to do whatever to experience love, which... It do, the point of it isn't the sexuality. The point of it isn't that she was raped, and that was probably used for the explicit nature to kind of jar you and give you a shock, but he will do anything for self-pleasure. It's not a feeling, an emotion. He's become shocked. He He's so far apart from society, he is so away from it that he does things for pleasure, and he hasn't learned the difference between love and death. Also, like... I kind of view it as that scene in Swingers where Favreau is like continually leaving message on the answer machine. That whole cringy scene. Hi, this is Nikki. Leave a message. Hi, uh, Nikki. This is Mike. I met you at the um, at the Dresden uh, tonight. Uh, I just called to to say that I had a great time, and you should call me tomorrow or in uh, two two days, uh, whatever. Anyway, uh, my number is two one three five five five. Four six seven nine. Hi, this is Nikki. Leave a message. Hi, uh, Nikki. This is Mike again. I, I just called because it sounded like your your machine might have cut me off when I when I uh, before I finished leaving my number. Anyway, uh, and you know, and also, um, sorry to call so late, but you were still at the Dresden when I left, so I knew I'd get in your machine. Anyhow, uh, uh, my number is two one. Hi, this is Nikki. Leave a message. Two one three five 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 four six seven nine. That's it. Just want to leave my number. I didn't want to think I was uh, weird or desperate. Or you should just uh, hang out and uh, see where it goes, because it's nice and, uh, you know, no expectations. So, okay? Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. just got out of a six-year relationship, okay? That should help explain why I'm acting so weird. I just want you to know that. It, it's not you, it's me. I'm sorry. This is Mike. And that's what Delamorte does. He finds this woman that he 
oh no, she's just like this other girl and I'm absolutely in love with her. Cut my fucking dick off. It's like you're going to so many like panic ridden places to try to please this woman because all you want is this one thing. I just want her. I just want her. I just want her. And it turns out at the end of the day, you tried to please her so much. You rendered yourself impotent. And just because she said she wasn't in the penetrative sex, you kind of went to these like outstanding bounds to try to please her. And it's not what she wanted at all to begin with. You're just like running like just crazily trying to just I I gotta have a girlfriend I gotta get this girlfriend I gotta get my girlfriend I gotta so you just keep calling her and keep leaving messages and keep leaving messages and it's like you're fucking completely self sabotaging this relationship just trying to please another person when you just really need to be you and if you're not enough that's fine I think too beyond just being you it goes to that old infinite saying you can't love someone else if you don't love yourself. And he struggles with that. He has no identity. He has no being. He doesn't. He's trying think. to be what she want, what he thinks she wants him to be. And he doesn't realize that he has everything around him. And we have a reoccurring character throughout the entire movie that's this old lady that comes to visit him and seems to greatly annoy him. But she comes every day. No one's there. It, she's visiting dead friends. She's coming to see him. She's coming because she thinks Nagi is a cutie and she enjoys talking with the cemetery man it's a part of her life and yeah but he can't fuck her so why why do i even care well i think maybe to an extent you have kind of an idea of looking at realities that you can't look at or look into and everyone can be around you and you can still feel increasingly lonely because you don't love yourself you have no ideology within yourself and it's not just like uh, this negative space of death but he replicates this woman every single time within his mind, and they all fall short to him, and he chooses to him the most natural reaction, which is anger and violence. He has this meeting with Death, where Death tells him, if you don't like what's going on, stop killing the dead. They belong to me. Get rid of the living. Stop killing the dead. They're mine. If you don't want the dead coming back to life, why don't you just kill the living? Shoot them in the head. Are you listening to me? And it seems like this uh, inward rage, you know, kind of the incel sort of thing. No one will love me. I can't get fucked, so I'm going to take it out on everyone else. And not realizing that if you had just found some sort of self-compassion, you might have realized that it's not all about you. Yeah, I mean, that that's basically it on that like that subject matter it's that's and that's what i keep i keep going back to the title of being so important to the film because it boils everything down right there this is the story you're getting ready to watch and it delivers on what it promises because these are all just almost like snapshots of different types of things you can encounter in your life that deal with love and death and you're uh, someone's reaction to those things how are you going to be are you going to be like del morte and just be kind of this sad bastard who doesn't count his blessings on the things that he does have and does love or are you just going to sit there and just kind of be fucking nihilist about everything and just focus on this focus on putting a skull back together again are you just going to keep trying to rebuild this it's dead it's gone that you can't might be bring it back 
I think that may be the the best euphemism in the movie is him consistently trying to put death back together to try and fix the pieces. And at some point, all of our lives, we're going to experience terrible things. And not all death is the definition of death. You could deeply love somebody, and that could end, and you'll never see them again. And it might as be as well that they're dead. It could actually be more painful than the person being dead because death, no matter what you want to think, it is the ultimate ending. It is an answer. If somebody's dead, there's, they're dead. It's all over. It's ended. If somebody's still alive and you can't reach out and talk to them, you have these memories that you can attempt to every night sit and rebuild, and there's no way to replicate it. Touching into David Lynch a little bit here, one of my favorite pictures by him, Lost Highway, there's a really great sequence with Bill Pullman where he's talking about things to the cops, and he says, I don't like to remember things the way they happened. I like to remember things the way I think they happen. I like to remember things my own way. What do you mean by that? How I remembered them. Not necessarily the way they happened. And that's how most people go through life, and I think this movie has some similarities to that. Not, I mean, trying to say a David Lynch film has similarities to anything else is insane because David Lynch had a weird fucking dream, wrote it down on paper, and made a movie about it. <laughs> I don't know. There's, I think there's some validity to that, and I also think David Lynch is kind of fucking with people, and I yeah. think he does have ideas and points he's trying to make, but he just doesn't solely focus on those points, and he just, again... He's a little bit more on the Italian um, spectrum of filmmaker of just trying to make something about broad strokes, a uh, big brush strokes about ideas like love and things like that. I think conceptually when it comes to David Lynch, I don't think he gives a fuck if you get it. I think that really what makes him stand apart from other people and other artists that he may have a point, but he doesn't fucking care if you ever get it. And he's going to put it out in whatever way his emotion is going to be able to be invoked that day. But I have to miss, I have to say, I think I've misspoken on something. At the beginning of this episode, I said my opinion and my views on this movie have never changed. And what Alexander Nash was just saying my my opinion and views deeply have changed. When I first saw this movie, and you know, maybe up until this recent revisiting, watching it to do this episode, my opinions probably largely were the same. I really identified with The Cemetery Man. I really felt close to the character of Francesco Della Morte. I felt I understood what he was going through. And when I watched it recently, what, what really hit me was Nagi. That that's that's my favorite character. Now that's who I see myself as. And there is some really disturbing stuff that happens with Nagi in the movie. So it's not like, yeah, that's me. You know, that's not my definitive character. But the emotion behind him, the simplicity, the the nature he is. And there's one sequence that that always catches me, is he's he's being explained as a character how he just loves very certain things, and when the wind blows away his dead leaves, he has to jump into his wheelbarrow and try and capture them. And the uh, beautiful simplicity of that sequence, just showing that's who the character is, that's what they stand for, I think that, if anything, as I'm growing up and getting older, that's what I want to identify with. That's what I want to feel. I love the character. He just is. And there's something about just being that I think is much more enjoyable than focusing on what could be, what was, what wasn't. Trying to re-piece things together, you can only live with inside your own mind so much, even if the world 
isn't real. There might not be anything outside of that one road leading out of your town, but why focus on everything negative when there's a whole reality you haven't existed and it's just being? I don't know. There's a lot of reflection you can have with this movie. There's a lot of inner beauty to uh, the direction, the soundtrack, the acting. There are so many different levels that I think you can really enjoy with this. It's, t I mean, it's really a top five. I hate lists. I don't want to say it's a top five favorite. It's a favorite movie. It's something I deeply enjoy. And I hope as I, you know, age and get older that I can enjoy it furthermore and see it from different perspectives. I think it's kind of endless that you can traverse this movie over and over and over again. And that has something to say about kind of what you're trying to say with a piece of art. Are you just trying to entertain people? Are you trying to have a message? Are you trying to do like, and I think people try to do those things a lot with different films and I think they can succeed in one way or another, but rarely do you get someone who is trying to express a concept or an idea and just kind of let you fluidly kind of deal with it and experience it on your own terms. And it's not overly preachy about the idea and it's not over overly focused on like trying to tell the story. It's entertaining. It can make you think um, it can whisk you off to kind of a Gothic fairy tale um, sort of scenario. And that's what this film is. It's, it's not presumptuous in what it's trying to do. It's not uh, arty farty crap. Uh, but at the same time, it's, it leans on the arty farty spectrum. It, it's uh, like, it's, it's still there, but it's just not solely focused on any of those things. And that's a, a kind of a really interesting way to focus on making art is just kind of try to um, make a little bit of everybody happy. You're not going to make all everybody happy, but if you know exactly what you're doing and put all these pieces together, you make this piece of art that doesn't really change with age. And what I mean by that, it's not like you can't experience it differently as you age more along the lines of it's not aging as far as, you know, some movie about the 1980s that's, saying they're talking about, I don't know, video game arcades and shit like that. It's it's going to be somewhat timeless. It, it won't age with time in itself. The, the concepts will always be strong. It's not ever going to be dated in any way. I think it's just a shame in general that Suave isn't a, a better household name, that he doesn't have a career filled with movies to the caliber of Joe D'Amato and Lucio Fulci. But at the same time, you look at the work that he has presented uh, as a director, which he didn't enjoy being a director. He never wanted to be one. He felt that his goals were achieved when he was Dario Argento's AD, which I, I got to say personally, I would feel my goals were achieved <laughs> if I, if I was Dar if I was good enough to be Dario Argento. I mean, this AD. first movie was a documentary about Dario Argento. So it's, <laughs> I mean, you look at, at everything that he's had to offer stage fright is a slasher movie and it, it runs and feels like a slasher movie, but the church, it has not some... even a giallo either, like a straight up slasher. Yeah. Film. There's nothing giallo about the movie. It, it feels like a Halloween knockoff, but it plays, People will probably not like this statement coming out of my mouth. It plays better than Halloween. I would much rather watch Stage Fright at this point in my life than John Carpenter's Halloween. And I like John Carpenter. Don't get me wrong. 
But you look at him as an artist and you look, you know, okay, we can put him against the wall and he can make this movie. He can make Stage Fright. The Church, that's a big production. And of course, Argento produced it. It looks fantastic. It has it has a feeling to it, but I don't think until Cemetery Man, until Della Morte Della Morte, that Michele Suave had a a trademark, had a feeling, had a touch. And I think this movie is him. I think this movie is what he wanted to invoke to people and the immortal question, you know, you go back to Hamlet. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of troubles, and by opposing, end them. natural shocks that flesh is heir to. It is a consummation devoutly to be wished, to die, to sleep, to sleep. A chance to dream. Aye, there's the rub. For in that sleep of death, what dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil? must give us pause. There's the respect that makes calamity of so long life. For who would bear the whips and scorns of time? The oppressors... To be or not to be. And this is just one big interpretation of that. That is the question. Are you going to live or are you going to be lost in your own mind? The law's delays. The insolence of office and the spurns that patient merit of the unworthy takes when he himself might his quietest make with a bare bodkin. Who would Fardel's bear to grunt and sweat under a weary life but that the dread of something after death, the undiscovered country from whose bourne no traveler returns, puzzles the will and makes us rather bear those ills we have than fly to others that we know not of. Thus conscience doth make cowards of us all. And thus the native hue of resolution is sicklied o'er with the pale cast of thought. And enterprises of great pith and moment 
With this regard, their currents turn awry and lose the name of action. So I, I touched upon a little while ago how we could have done this by beginning at the, the very first scene and going through the entire film, and maybe one day we can do a commentary or something. But I found it to be a great challenge to, to discuss this movie without having to go through it scene by scene, and there's so much I want to go back and I want to talk about that's on my mind, but I think it's really hard to do it without kind of spoiling the entirety of the movie and what you're watching. Some of it's just radically bizarre. There are so many weird and out-of-this-world visuals, things that you can really tell if you're familiar with Italian horror, if you're a fan of the works of Lucio Fulci or Joe D'Amato and, and Dario Argento. You can see Michele Suave pulling these things out of his bag of tricks. There are great gore effects. There are some things that are disgusting in this movie. There are very shocking things. I, I referenced this earlier. It's one of the most shocking and hysterical scenes. A whole group of Cub Scouts and nuns die in a car wreck together. It just seems like someone's telling a joke. It seems like someone's telling this really, 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 really elaborate joke, and at the end of it, they're going to say, and we're called the aristocrats. And it's 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 nowhere near that level of filth, but you can interpret it that way. The, the whole movie is love and death. If you want to look at it from the death angle, it's a very in-your-face, grotesque, morbid, disgusting movie. It seems very nihilistic because you go through everything via a very nihilistic person. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the show Black Books. It was a, a, a BBC comedy starring Dylan Moran. And Black Books is like the equivalent to Cemetery Man if it was a comedy. It's ridiculously morose. The character hates fucking absolutely everything, but somehow, some way, finds joy out of the decrepancy and nihilistic nature of life enough that they haven't joined the dead. Again, multiple interpretations to this movie. You could even look at Cemetery Man as an anti-suicide message or an absolutely devastating love letter to death. I think what kind of makes the movie special is it predates... Shaun of the Dead as far as being like a zombie comedy and there were zombie comedies before Dylan this. Dylan Moran but also in Shaun of the Dead, funnily oh, enough. Oh yes. Yeah. And it's um like for being a zombie comedy that actually works and isn't just like overtly goofy or just full of bad jokes. It's um do wait, do you not like Shaun of the Dead? No, Shaun of the Dead's fine. Oh, what I, I'm saying I, is I didn't know if you were comparing it and saying it was it was bad no, jokes. Pre like, hold Shaun on. of the Dead. Okay, I was like, wait a second, it... we we're gonna argue here for a second. No, 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 no. <laughs> like what I'm saying is it came before Shaun of the Dead and anything that came before Del Morte Del Moore as far as involving zombie and comedies would been some broad, you know, ridiculous comedy. Well, yeah, thing. like but scary this is movie. Like I mean you can respectful throw that to the zombie genre as well as being like 
ironically humorous at a lot of places, very um, morose, dark humor, but still humor nonetheless. Would you really, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not trying to like do apples or oranges here, but would you really put this into a zombie category? I mean, I know they're very fervent and appear in the movie and it's a huge part of it that the dead comes back to life, but it's, it's, it doesn't kind of hit me that way. It doesn't, and I don't know why, but for me, when even if it's the worst sci-fi channel zombie movie, there's something very solemn. There's something very, this is the end, that there is no hope about even Romero zombie movies, that we are we are facing the end of the world. And with De La Morte, De La Morte, I don't think it's the end of the world. You have to question what the world is, of course, but I don't feel that this is... A plague, a nightmare that's overtaking things aside from this this one person's life. Well, I mean, it's not like a zombie film in, I would say, the Romero-esque sense, but it still is dealing with similar themes of uh, humanity's reaction to death. Like, that's still all present there. I mean, it's... Um, and so it's so much more, I mean, shocking, I know, but, like, so much more of, like... A, response to Italian zombie films um, and how they play out something more along the lines of the um, bizarreness of city, of the living dead, something along those lines and kind of it, it simultaneously poking fun at a film like that, but also paying reverence to it at the same time. So what you've got is a, a particularly interesting product that I think has gotten both of us tongue-tied because there are so many angles, there are so many ways that we could we could go about doing this entire show, and I think we kind of did a general estimate of Cemetery Man, and what makes it interesting is, even for the sake of product, for the sake of putting out content, we could do five or six different shows about this movie and I think touch upon something differently every single well, time. Well, 10-minute chunks. You can break them up. Talk about it for two hours. There's a whole different world that you can go into here, and you can go into it from the production standpoint. You can look at Michaela Suave and where he comes from and visually what's appearing to you on screen. You can look at the sound. You can look at the subtext, the philosophy. I think, and it's an Italian film, but I think there's a lot of religious iconic iconography that is important to the movie. I think falling in love in an ossery and the rebirth and death of Christ are all things that have a, a subtext and value to looking into this movie. And I think at the end of the day, when you watch it, it it's the question of what is your comfort level with death? Are you comfortable talking about it? Are you comfortable with death in your life? Or is it one of those things that you go, shh, we can't talk about that. And that might be the end lesson. You can't love unless you can realize that everything dies. 
but that's so on the nose. I can't fucking say that's what the movie's about. It's just a suggestion. Well, it's it's a love letter to love and death. <laughs> I mean, that's I have to keep going back to the title of just being like it's the most open advertising for a film ever. This is what you're going to see and not much more than this. It's about these two things. But here's one thing that we can do as an ending note that makes it really interesting. It could be a love letter to death from love or a love letter to love from death. And no matter what way you look at it, it's not wrong, it's not right. That's what really defines this as you boldly said at the beginning of the show, maybe the best Italian horror film. And there's so many. I mean, this isn't like there's about 18 that we can be decisive with. Thousands, millions, maybe millions. Yeah, I, I was going to take that back. I doubt there's millions. Maybe a million, maybe like like 9,999 Italian horror films. Millions. You're looking close to like 4,000, but whatever. Yeah, well, I've never been that good at math anyhow. There's a lot. There's a lot to make this list. I mean, and Joe Diamato did about 3,000 out of those four. So, <laughs> yeah, most of those were just porn, though. You got to look at what's available, and, and it sounds like a very brash statement, but I back you. I, I really believe Cemetery Man, De La Morte, De La Mor by Michela Suave is the king of the Italian horror pictures. Take it any way you want to. doesn't really matter to me, but it's all about life. It's all about love. It's all about death. What is more equivalent to that? There's, there's, you can't take anything else hand in hand but life and death and how you fill the time before life and death ends. So maybe one day we will come back to the graveyard and we'll start digging again. There are so many avenues that we can take when it comes to this movie. I hope if you've seen this movie you can go back and you can watch it again. You can see it under a different light and look at all the different ways that this can touch you. I think it's a, a compassionate, touching movie at the end of the day. There's so much violence. There's grotesque, awful things that are shown to you in this movie. But it's kind of touching. It It's almost fulfilling. It's one of those movies like Possession. It's very damaging and very inflictive of emotions. Or It's invocative. I, I'm going to keep going on with adjectives and verbs and all sorts of nouns describing this movie. The thing is, though, the ashtray is full, and the bottle, it's empty. 
And this has been an episode of Death by DVD. Look for us in the graveyard. DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. Crystal Sunshine Mountain in any town USA with transmitters on top of the Empire State Building. The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning.
proprio sindacale il coordinamento nazionale dei sindacati Parmalat difende il marchio.